I often hear people talk about their little slice of heaven on earth. Usually they're referring to a place they bought at the lake or a chateau in the mountains. If that describes you, I'm sorry to bust your bubble by saying, that's not heaven, not even close. Heaven is not the good life we make for ourselves on earth. It's much more than that. Your little slice of heaven on earth and mine is a ghetto shack compared to the home Jesus is preparing for his followers. Besides, heaven is not earth, and earth is certainly not heaven. So set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for your life is hid with Christ in God. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Hello, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian Davis. Thanks so much for being here. Well, it's an age-old question. What will heaven be like? And though our minds cannot conceive or even begin to dream up a complete answer, God's Word gives us glimpses of the place where believers will one day dwell. Today, Ron shares some thoughts on the new heaven and the new earth as he continues his series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Remember, online you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org. That's where you can listen to the broadcast on your schedule. Download or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Revelation chapter 21, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message. There's a new world coming. The eternal city is so huge that it would measure approximately the distance from Canada to Mexico and from the Atlantic Ocean to the Rockies. He goes on to say someone calculated that if this structure is cube-shaped, it would allow for 20 billion residents, each having his or her own private 75-acre cube. I like that part. If each resident were smaller, then there is room to accommodate 100,000 billion people. Even then, plenty of room is left over for parks, streets, and other things you would see in any normal city. Heaven, friends, is a massive, massive place. And here's the good news. There's room for you. There's room for you and for anybody who places his or her faith in Jesus Christ and who wants to go to heaven. Secondly, heaven is a welcoming place. It's a welcoming place. Uh, Read with me in verses 12 and 13. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It's a welcoming place. Again, if it's a cube, a three-dimensional kind of thing, it has 12 gates, 12 foundations. And why do I say it's a welcoming place? Because on every side of the cube, there are three gates in which you can enter the city. And a little bit later in this chapter, verses 25 and 26 and 27 tell us that the gates are open perpetually because it's a welcoming place. 
And you get the sense that there's activity and flow inside and outside of this massive holy city called Jerusalem and called heaven and this merging of heaven and earth. It's a welcoming place because the gates are always open. It's a welcoming place because you know who the welcoming committee is at the gate? You know who, who's on the hospitality team? Angels. John tells us that there's an angel at each of the gates. There are 12 angels positioned at all 12 of the gates. Now, we have some wonderful, friendly people on our hospitality team here at Atlantic Shores. Uh, well, you can come into this building from all, all kinds of entry points, and we always have a wonderful, smiling face there, but we don't have angels. Can you imagine being greeted by a heavenly angel as you come in and out of the holy city. Heaven is a welcoming, welcoming place. It's welcoming also because of the reminder of these 12 gates and the 12 foundations. Above the 12 gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. A perpetual and eternal reminder that salvation is of the Jews. That God chose the nation of Israel not because they were big, not because they were great, not because they were better than everybody else, but because He wanted to pour Himself into them and that they would be a blessing to the nations. And then the 12 foundations, above those foundations, there are the names of the 12 apostles, a reminder of the church. And the church gave way not only to Jews, but also Gentiles. And so it's a perpetual and eternal reminder, these 12 gates and 12 foundations and the tribes and the apostles, it's a perpetual reminder that salvation is to the Jews and to the Gentile. Everybody is welcomed by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is a welcoming place. Thirdly, heaven is a beautiful, beautiful place. Look again in verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, John says. Now listen to this. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It is not by accident that the wedding imagery appears here again. Remember, the church is the bride of Christ. And often in the Old Testament, God described His relationship with Israel using marriage terms. And so, uh, this holy city, Jerusalem, is, is the, the saints of God in the Old Testament and the church, like a bride prepared for her heavenly groom, uh, the beauty and the majesty of it. There's nothing more beautiful than a bride on her wedding day. And on this wedding day, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb and all that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the beauty will be stunning. Let's pick it up in verse 10, where John says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now listen to this. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Scroll down to verse 18, the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. I had to work on that this week. How'd I do? Not too bad, right? And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates 
made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. John is doing the best he can under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to grab human language and describe the dazzling, stunning, radiant beauty of heaven. But just remember this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, this is like a New York City trip to Tiffany's, isn't it? You ever want to go to a beautiful jewelry store, ladies, guys? And all the jewels that are mentioned there, most of them we recognize. Some of them we're not sure what they are. I think that's an indication that, that, that God, God will reveal to us aspects of true beauty the human eye has never seen, uh, aspects of true beauty the human mind has never imagined. Uh, we have cheap substitutes for beauty in our culture, don't we? Uh, but heaven will be a truly beautiful place. And, and do you notice the description here? What we consider rare and precious jewels are common building materials in heaven. I find that fascinating, down to the streets of gold. Uh, there, there's no steel, there's no concrete, there's no asphalt. There are no potholes in heaven. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean, with streets of gold, you, you never have to, you know, fill in a little pothole and fix this or fix that. What a beautiful, stunning, stunning place. And, and again, all described using the wedding imagery, like a bride adorned for her groom. Nothing more beautiful than that. The fiery Baptist preacher, W.A. Criswell, says the entire city of splendor proclaims God's covenant relationship with the bride of the Lamb, His people Israel, and His redeemed church. Now, don't miss the wedding imagery there. Uh, again, John's way of, of trying to describe uh, the absolute stunning beauty of heaven. Number four, heaven is a healing place. It's a healing place. Let's pick it up in chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's a healing place. We see the tree of life reappearing at the end of the Bible. The last chapter of the Bible. We've come full circle, haven't we? We've gone from paradise, that's Genesis 1 and 2, to paradise lost, that's chapter 3 of Genesis all the way to Revelation chapter 21. And now paradise regained. What was lost in the Garden of Eden is regained at the end here in the tree of life. Uh, first church that Catherine and I served was in Texas in a West Houston suburb called Katy. 
And uh, it was one of those master plan communities where the developers go in and they, they manicure every part of it. And uh, I, I remember just uh, the, part of the beauty was the boulevards. You know, they, they planted crepe myrtle trees. You know what a crepe myrtle tree is? Yeah, you know, we used to chop them down to the, the, to the sticks, you know, during the dormant winter months because in the springtime they would blossom up again in these beautiful radiant flowers and it would line the boulevards of Cinco Ranch. As stunningly beautiful as that is, it's nothing compared to the beauty of uh, the tree of life. And uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon describes it this way, that paradise which the first Adam lost for us, the second Adam will regain for us with added bliss and superior joy. We shall dwell where a river rolls with a placid stream and surrounds a land where there is gold. What a beautiful description of heaven. And John says that the leaves of the tree of life, well, two things about them. Number one, they, they produce a fruit, a different fruit every month. Now, how creative of our God is that? Uh, you might have a tree in your backyard if it's a maple tree or an orange tree or a lemon tree or, a, or whatever kind of tree it is, a key lime tree. Uh, well, it, it, it produces key limes or oranges or lemons. It doesn't produce a different fruit each month, but in heaven, the tree of life will produce a different fruit. It's like the fruit of the month club, only better. It's heavenly. And, and John says the leaves of the tree of life listen to this, are for the healing of the nations. That word healing in the Greek is where we get our word therapeutic. Heaven is a therapeutic place. There's no stress. There's just perpetual bliss and therapy and healing. Why healing for the nations? I don't know. Maybe because there's no war or conflict or rumors of war or turning on the 24-hour news channels at night and going, oh, that again? No, it's a healing place. And all the struggles you're having in this life, all that, that part of you emotionally or physically or whatever it is that needs healing will be made perfect, perfect in heaven. Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good Radio message with Dr. Ron Jones. Something new is happening at Something Good. At somethinggoodradio.org, we just released a brand new streaming platform for Something Good Radio and Something Good Television, or what we're calling SGTV. There, you'll also find Something Good Travel, Something Good Courses, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Watch listen and download for free and when it's convenient for you that and a lot more is available now at somethinggoodradio.org and remember when you send a special gift today we'll say thank you with a gift of our own the complete audio download of the series you're hearing now mysteries of the apocalypse the last days of planet earth and the return of jesus christ donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to p.o box 6245 virginia beach virginia 23456 you can also call our offices at 757-276-1099 now here's Ron with the second half of today's Something Good Radio message. There's a new world coming. Finally, it's a worshiping place. 
And I don't have time to go to all the ways we've learned or glimpses we've gotten of or pictures of, of, of worship in heaven, but uh, there are three places in the book of Revelation where while great tribulation and trial and calamity is happening on, plan on planet earth, we're given a glimpse of heavenly worship. One's found in chapter 4, chapter 5, also chapter 7. We hear words like this, worthy is the lamb who was slain where those worshipers in heaven are just enthralled and enraptured in, 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 in what they were created to do. You know that, don't you? You were created to worship. You were created to worship God. And if, if worship for you is kind of a boring thing, then you got some distance to travel in your relationship with the Lord to get ready for heaven because what we do on this earth is a dress rehearsal for heaven because it's a worshiping place. But as we worship God in heaven, we will never feel so fulfilled and so uh, complete in who we are and who, who God created us to be. And, and as I read the Scripture, and I don't have time to go there, but it seems as though our work and our worship are commingled. We'll have work to do in heaven. Some of you are saying, oh, darn, Pastor, I, I, I was into that therapeutic experience. Well, work will be therapeutic as well. Because God has always been a worker. He worked for six days, creating the heavens and the earth, and then He rested on the seventh, right? When He put Adam in the Garden of Eden, one of the things He said to Adam is, take care of this place. He gave him work to do. Sin frustrated that. God never cursed work. He cursed the ground. And the thistles and the thorns came up, and it made it harder in paradise lost to work. So we have something we call the daily grind here. In heaven, there will be no daily grind. You'll never wake up on Monday morning and say, oh, I got to go to work today. Not in heaven. And our worship and our work will be so commingled that we'll never feel more fulfilled, more who we were created to be than when we're worshiping God and working. We won't worship our work, but we'll work as we worship, and one and the same will be happening there as we serve the Lord for all of eternity. How many of you want to go to heaven? I certainly do. Be a whole lot better than this place. I, I mean, the, the, the best experience you might have or I might have on this earth, the most beautiful place on earth that you might experience on this, that little slice of heaven you call your beach home or your home in the mountain or that vacation to some remote island on the planet, all of that is a ghetto compared to heaven. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart and the imagination of man. What God has prepared for those, here's the tricky part, for those who love Him. Do you love Him today? Do you love Him enough to call Him your Savior? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Him, this Jesus who came to die on a cross for your sins? and then was buried, who rose from the dead three days later, 40 days later ascended to the Father, and for the last 2,000 years has been using His carpentry hands to add on to His Father's house. Can you imagine what He's been building? And that same Jesus who is awaiting a word from His Father that says, go. <laughs> and we, His church, like a bride waiting for her groom, we are the church waiting for Him. Are you loving His appearing? Are you leaning into it every day, doing what God has called you to do every day, trying to be as faithful as you can, 
But in the back of your mind, you're, you're, you're listening for that trumpet sound <laughs> for when Christ returns. Do you really love Him? Are you truly one of His followers? Because the Scripture is clear here, it's those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life that will be welcomed into this heavenly place. And my prayer is that every one of us in this room would come to that personal decision where you come as a sinner in need of a Savior, kneeling at the cross. That's where it all begins. And inviting Jesus Christ into your life. And if you've done that, that's a matter of fact in your life, then here's what the Bible says. Set your affections on things above and not on things on this earth. I'm not saying become so heavenly-minded you're no earthly good, but let's not become so earthly-minded that we never give a thought about heaven. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. What God, the God who created us, is preparing for us because He loves us and He wants to dwell with us for all eternity. That, that's what drove him to create us in the first place. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That, that ought to blow your categories. You mean God wants to dwell, wants to hang out with me? What is man that you are mindful of him, the psalmist said. But God is preparing a place where he can hang with us for all of eternity. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good Radio message, There's a New World Coming. Ron, we're nearing the end of our journey through the book of Revelation, and I think now might be a good time to revisit the reason God includes prophecy in His Word, not only here in the revelation of Jesus Christ, but throughout the Bible. What would you say is the purpose of this prophecy? Brian, I think its primary purpose is to offer proof of the inerrancy and authority of God's Word. Fulfilled prophecy authenticates the Word of God and by extension, the existence and nature of God Himself. For example, Jesus staked His entire ministry and His message on His ability to fulfill the prophecy that He would rise from the dead. His resurrection, for which there is ample physical and historical evidence available to anyone who looks into it honestly, His resurrection occurred not long after He prophesied that it would happen meaning all or almost all of the people who heard His prophecy were around for its fulfillment. Secondly, prophecy should produce hope in the life of the Christian, which in turn uh, promotes purity and perseverance. If God's Word is true and God's promises are sure, then we have hope that the prophecies concerning His second coming are also true. And that gives great hope to believers and encourages us to pursue a holy life. Thirdly, prophecy should create in us a sense of urgency. You know, complacency is one of the greatest enemies of faith. But in light of fulfilled prophecy, people can rely on the prophecies that are not yet fulfilled, such as the final judgment and the separation of believers from unbelievers. That should serve as motivation to stave off complacency and follow Christ in our daily lives. 
Finally, I think all three of the reasons I've offered can be grouped into a single overarching purpose. Uh, That is that prophecy is designed to draw people to Jesus Christ. God has proven time and again through fulfilled prophecy that he is who he claims to be. And he gives us these prophecies so that all might come to the conclusion that he is the one true God and the only infallible source of truth. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on today's message. There's a new world coming. Well, Ron, we're getting down to the final two messages in your series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Tell us where you're headed on tomorrow's program. Brian, I have one final message I want to share in this series. When we think of the last words of someone, whether of a loved one or of the Apostle Paul or of Jesus Christ himself, we can't help but conclude that these words must be very important. So tomorrow we'll be looking at the last words in all of Scripture, some of them said by our Lord Himself. And I believe they are crucial to the understanding of anyone who reads the book of Revelation. Join us then for Something Good when Dr. Ron Jones continues his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.